Um, one of my earliest memories, my mom would take us grocery shopping. Now, if you're a parent, you know taking little kids grocery shopping is kind of an issue, right? So actually, on the way to the grocery store, she went every Saturday. Uh, we only had one car, so that's when she got it. That's when we went. It, but she dropped myself and my older sister off at the uh, storefront library while she went to the store and picked us up on the way back. So I'm five years old in this library for uh, every Saturday afternoon. It seemed like years. But it was there that I really fell in love with books, and I fell in love with uh, learning because, man, I came across all kinds of cool stuff. I didn't know what astronauts were until there, and I I came across that. And, of course, the picture books, and and I was able to see major portions of the world that I didn't know existed. And I read my first book without pictures in that library. I remember I was so proud I put that thing back. Of course, I had my favorites, you know, that you'd pull off every single week, it seemed, you know, between Curious George and Mike Mulligan and his steam shovel and where the wild things are. That was a good one. And uh, just, I, I loved, I loved to read. And I think that's what really started my, I love to read today. Um, just finished. Um, between reading and between audible, you know, I fill in the cracks when I have to drive, fill in cracks with good reading. I've just recently gone through uh, Flowers for Algernon. I don't necessarily recommend this book. It's Daniel Keyes, but it was classic, and I thought I should... I don't know if I should have, but it was a good book all the same. Um, but read Boys in the Boat. It's a, it's a New York Times bestseller. It's about the University of Washington nine oar crew and their quest for gold at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Yeah, that sounds like a winner, right? It's actually a very good book. Uh, I read um, All the Light We Cannot See. It's a 2015 Pulitzer Prize book. Um, th- was it uh, Evidence Not Seen? It was an incredible book. It was the biography of Darlene Rose Diebler, a CMA missionary in New Guinea just before World War II. Short Life of Jonathan Edwards is not a short book, but either way, you know, good books. And, you know, I found myself as I would read these things, kind of engaged with them. And inside, I'm cheering at different times or really nervous at different times uh, what's going on. Uh, they, they educated me. I've learned much through. These I was intrigued, I was entertained, but through all of that, one thing it's just interesting. You know, I, I read these books a couple days afterwards, just still thinking about them, and then I just went on with life. My life after I got done with the book, probably not a whole lot different than when I, I started. Pretty much the same. No, they, they entertained me, they educated me, but they did not transform me at all. I think sometimes as believers, our, our relationship with the Word of God, the Bible, is the exact same thing. We, we, we read, and perhaps, it's according to what book we're in, right? Is it fun, or is it a little bit of a, of a bore? But we're, we're reading, and we're going through, and all that stuff. But when it's all said and done, the only thing that's changed is our bookmark. That's it. Our life, basically, is pretty much the same way it was before uh, we started reading. James is going to uh, challenge us with that. He's going to say, you know, you've got a new relationship with the Word of God. And this relationship with the Word of God means, it requires that that our, our relationship to the Word of God is a little bit different than our relationship to the Word of Tom Clancy or the Word of J.K. Rowling or the Word of Charles Dickens or the Word of Dr. Seuss. It's just got to be different. But in many ways, it's just not. So let me, let me ask you a question. True confessions, but you don't have to confess to anybody but yourself. When was the last time 
you read God's word and you were convicted so deeply that repentance happened and life change, real life change came about through your time with God's word. When's the last time that happened? Might have been a while. Might have been quite some time, actually. If so, the passage we're going to go over this morning is critical uh, to, to you. You know, in the first part of James, we started our series on James last week. And the first section in James, what James is talking about is spiritual maturity. And he says that, that one of the things you, you need to understand to be spiritually mature is the place of trials in your life. Because we're all going to have them, and it can derail us in a second. But if we can see them through God's eyes as tools, and, and the trials are tools, tools God uses to mature us, that, that's where we got to start. And in this section, he's keeping kind of that theme of spiritual maturity, but he's saying there's something else that, that you need to understand, believers. You need to understand your relationship to the Word of God. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn me to chapter 1, verse 18? Chapter 1, verse 18. By the way, let me just mention this for a second. Because in my Bible, I got an English Standard Version, there's a break kind of between verse 18 and verse 19. There's a little superscript above 19. It says, hearing and doing the word. Well, we realize, right, that James didn't write that. that that's not part of the original. The translators of the ESV put that one in there. And there's a, probably a, a half-inch gap between verse 18 and, and 19. James didn't put that in there. Uh, the, the text we have of James, uh, they were conserving papyrus, right? So there, were, there, there is no gap. The numbers were put in back in the 1500s, so they weren't there. And so, so that, that gap that was put there by the translators, there's a reason why they did it, all those things. But it's pretty, pretty subjective. It's, they're usually pretty close, but I think on this one, they missed it. And we'll get into that in, in a second. But, but let's start in verse 18. Because he's going to introduce his, his topic for this whole next section. Of his own will, that's God, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The, the brought us forth, that's, that's the word to be born. You were reborn, you were uh, brought to life through the word of truth. So, so you, you, you're changed, you're not who you were, it's a whole new deal. By this word of truth. It's kind of the same thing that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. He says, Timothy, you know from a young child, you knew the Holy Scriptures, which can make you wise unto salvation. Same thing. You're, you're, You're reborn. You're in a new family. It's a new day for you because of your... You don't owe this new birth to... J.K. Rowling to Tolkien to you, you, you owe it to this new book that is right here, the Word of God, that you should be a kind of first fruits. Now it's, it's fascinating this this idea of first fruits. You know, Old Testament they had an offering, first fruits offering, and when your crops were starting to get ready, starting to come in, you went through and you could choose how much you wanted, but you took some of the ripe fruit, ready vegetables, very very first harvest. And you couldn't eat it, and your family couldn't eat it, and you couldn't sell it. You took it to the temple, or you took it to the tabernacle, and you gave it to God. It was totally, 100%, completely for him. And what he's saying is, you believers that were scattered all over the place, James readers, are first fruits. 
You're not your own anymore. It's a whole new day, 100% complete, pure for God. So you're not, you're not your own. You've got a new relationship. You're a new identity. We talk about, uh, Ephesians 6, you know, put on the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? What does that look like? You know, what he's talking about is live out your identity, who you are in your salvation. And that's what he's saying. It's a new day. It's a new day. You've been saved by the word. And it goes on, verse 19. He's going to talk about here how we listen to this word. Maybe read this. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, this verse is, is one of those ones in Christendom that we really misunderstand, I think. And uh, we need to know... That this idea of, of, you know, you got two ears and one mouth and so practice it that way and listen to people and be kind and only share a li- little bit when you have to and your relationships will go better. There's a lot in Proverbs that says that very thing. It's true. But that's not what James is saying. James is talking about your relation to the word of God. And we're going to show you that in just a second. But understanding what he's saying, how you hear it says, first of all, you need to be uh, quick to hear. You, you need to be quick to hear the word of God. You need to seize those opportunities for exposure to the word of God. The whole idea is being attentive. You know, some folk, they hear God's word, they come to church, and, and they're listening, they, they, seemingly, but their minds are like cement, you know, so the water of the word of God doesn't soak in, it just kind of runs off. But they're there. They're, they're, they're trying hard, taking it, but it's just, they're not attentive to the word of God. He says, so you, you need to, to seize those opportunities when, when they come. Then he also says, you need to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Um, when I was a kid, I was a pretty good kid. Okay, I'm covering who you talk to, I suppose. Maybe I was never caught anyway, so I was, I was okay. But um, one of my key problems was my, my tongue. I spoke all the time, when I wasn't supposed to, everything was a joke for me. I would just, I just couldn't keep my big mouth shut. And I heard this in class, but my, I got okay grades and everything except for conduct. You know, my, my mouth was always going. I was always yelled at in class. My poor father, I remember my dad would just be so exasperated. My dad had a pretty colorful vocabulary, but he would just, son, would you shut your mouth, son? You just never listen to me. You don't listen to me. You just constantly talk and talk. Will you shut up? It's my, my poor dad. 1976, my cabin, when I was at summer camp, we went out to camp out. And the, the, we were, so we were way out. We'd set up our tents, and my counselor was just droning on and on and on. It seemed like forever about directions and item safety. I forget what he's, I wasn't paying attention. I don't know what he's talking about. But so I was talking. I was talking. And I, this poor man, I'd, he'd already yelled at me multiple times. But he just came unglued. I don't know. This guy just freaked out in a major way on me. It's just, would you shut up your stupid mouth? Would you shut up? You've got your stupid opinions and your stupid thoughts. And no one needs to hear you. No one wants to hear you. You're the only one who wants to hear you. And I've got important things and you need to hear it. And everyone needs to hear it. Would you just shut up? You know, kind of ruined my camp out, just so you know. When we talk, when we're supposed to be listening, 
we're focusing on our opinions, our agenda, our thoughts, our dreams, our ideas, not what the other person's saying. When we talk, when we're supposed to be listening, we are communicating quite clearly that we think that our views and our plans and, and our understandings are so much more important than the other person who's talking. And James is saying, you know what? When you come to the word of God, you've got to seize that opportunity, but you also need to be slow to speak. Now, you don't have to actually be using literal words to, to, to ruin this one. You know what I'm saying? I mean, some of y'all are doing this right now, actually, where you're here kind of listen. You may be like 30%. You know, really, you're kind of reliving the party last night or what you can do this afternoon or you're just kind of... You think in other things, other thoughts, other opinions, other views, other ideas. And James is saying, when you come to the word of God, the way you listen is you've got to seize those opportunities. But then you have to be all there. How many times have I come to quiet time and I'm on my knees and I've got my Bible open and I'm reading the stuff. But in my mind, I'm, I mean, I may be there 30 percent. And so you're all done. And All right. Had quiet time today. James would say, you've got to be, seize this opportunity to hear God's word. Uh, but then you've got to be slow to speak. You've got to work. To, to, it's not about my opinions, my thoughts, my views right now, my, my dreams. That's on the side. I need to focus 100% on his word. James says, that's where you've got to be to hear his word. And then he says, and then he says, and, and be slow to anger. You know, the word for anger is orge, and a, a, a definition, the primary definition actually, is to steadfastly oppose. And so it can, yeah, have the emotion that we would think, but think about steadfastly oppose. What does it mean to steadfastly oppose? Something like pushing back, push back. You ever, you ever, you ever Trying to tell somebody something and they just keep pushing back. You try something to your kids. I needed to clean your room today. And they're like, ah, do I have to clean my room today? I don't feel like cleaning my room. I have a headache. And they keep pushing back and you clean your room today. Well, can I just clean part of my room today? Will you clean your room today? Well, Johnny, then could you just pushing back? Sometimes when we come to scripture and we hear God's word, we are listening. Our natural sinful default system is to push back. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not so sure that's true. And you know what? I mean, yeah, that's probably so-and-so needs that. So, but, but, but for me, I mean, you say, uh, you say I should love my wife. You know who my wife is. And you say, I should submit to my husband. Well, my husband does A, B, C. Would Jesus submit to that? No, I don't think so. You say that we should obey our parents. But you know, my parents are hypocrites. They come to church and all, but you should see them at home. I don't think that that's what I ought to be doing. Or my health is this way, and I feel like this, and I've got all this. You're so busy. I'm so bu- I don't have time for that, and I've got this going on and this. And my, the hand that I've been dealt does not allow me to do these things. But push back, push back, push back. And James says, if you're going to hear God's word, you've got to seize this opportunity. You've got to, you've got to be there 100%. And you've got to make sure that you're not providing everything God, the Holy Spirit, is saying. Now, some of us are natural good pushbackers. You know, we got a gift of, of yeah, but kind of thing. We, are, we got that argumentative spirit going on. And let me be nice uh, to you for just a moment that... Uh, it could be a key part of a leadership gift. That's, that's good. 
But you need to know when you come before God in his word, you have got to bench that. Because if you don't, you will, I don't care if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you will never be who God has created you to be. You gotta, you gotta ax that. So that's what he's, he's saying here. Is the, uh, yeah, but stuff. Put that on, put that on hold. He goes on, verse 21, and he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is why, one of the key reasons why I think verse 20 is speaking about your, your reception to the word of God because 18 talks about the word of God. 21, or 19 talks about the word of God. 21 is talking about the word of God here. With the therefore. You see that? So he's equating, he's contrasting what just, just happened. And he says, if you want to hear the word of God, you've got to put away all filthiness. You know, that word filthiness, you know what that means? That means earwax. Is that what it is? Dopey earwax. Nasty, filthy earwax. Something that can impede you from hearing well. Correct? Um, as, as a pastor, as a preacher, uh, teachers, we cannot, I cannot uh, blame my prayerlessness or my neglect in the study or my half-hearted attempts at preparation, or, or, or I, I can't blame those things. I can't blame a lack of fruit because of a lack of work on the carnality of, of the hearers. <laughs> it's just their fault. You know, I gave them the word of God, and they just weren't listening. It's all their fault because they don't care about the word. I, ca- I, can't, I can't go down that road. I've got to own my stuff. James is going to talk about that huge in a little bit. Um, however, after that's said and done, is it possible that sometimes we come to church or we come to Bible study, whatever else, and we walk away going, eh, eh, didn't speak to me. Yeah, I have no clue. It was all right, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Is it possible that the reason why we have that response is because we have spiritual earwax going on? That we've got things in our life that, you know, are blocking it, are blocking it. Because you can't expect God to speak to you if you're holding on to what he said don't hold on to. If you're hanging on to filthiness, a rampant evilness, if you're hanging on to sin and you want God to speak to you, well, you know what? God doesn't work that way. In Joshua 7, you know, this is a fascinating story. You know, right, right before this, uh, Joshua and these guys go to take on Jericho, and God gives them the rule, don't steal anything, don't take anything, all the cool stuff in there, you know, that's a gift to me. But Achan, he goes in there, and they're taking on Jericho, and no one's looking, and he takes some, some cool stuff. And so the next day, they go to fight a little town called Ai, but they get killed fighting Ai. 36 guys literally get get killed. And so Joshua doesn't understand what's going on. And it says that he tears his clothes and he's laying on his face praying all day until late at night. He's praying. He's praying, God, what is going on? What is happening? What's the deal here? And then this is this is fascinating. God finally speaks up and he says this. He says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them and have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. He's saying, Joshua, what are you praying for? This is not the time to pray. You think I'm going to talk to you? You didn't do anything with what I told you about earlier. And if, if you're not going to, going to act on what I've shared earlier, why should you expect more? It's not going to happen. There's sin in the camp. If you want to hear my voice, clean it out. Because you're not going to get doing whatever sin you want and listening to me. It doesn't, it's just not going to work that way. Psalm 66, 18. This is such a cool text. The uh, author says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Harris paraphrase, this is not, not scripture, but I think you can say as well. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I will not hear the Lord. I, I will, it, it, it blocks his voice. He may be there speaking. Trying to, how many times have I come to church? And, and he wants to speak and he's trying to share. But you know what? I've got something going on that just is keeping me from hearing what he has for me. So let me ask you, do you have any spiritual filth, earwax that needs to be eradicated that is keeping you from hearing him? Let me, unforgiveness. We know scripture says we're supposed to forgive. It's not an emotional thing. It's a choice thing. Unforgiveness. Maybe maybe bitterness. Somebody has hurt us. They really have hurt us. But yet scripture tells us we're to overlook an offense. That's a real offense. But we just don't want to. So we're not going to. Uh, gossip. Of course, we would never say it's gossip. We're just telling the truth. That's all we're doing. We just want people to know the truth about whoever or whatever. And even if it's true, if it's negative about somebody, Scripture is going to label that one gossip. That's a sin by which Jesus died for. How about how about those secret things that nobody will ever know? I can think whatever I want to think whenever I want to think it, and nobody will ever really know. Nobody will know. God will know, of course, but it slowly will dry and destroy your life. And James says you need to seize those opportunities to hear his word. You need to make sure you're there a hundred percent, that you're not in a fighting mode with the Holy Spirit pushing back. You need to remove those things that would keep you from hearing his word. But then he goes on and he says that you need to receive the word implanted, I think is the way he says it, which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. How do you receive with meekness for granite loud? I, you know, really, it's the only way you can receive. And you, 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 know, you know this. To re, the word meekness is, is humility. And so it's saying, I need, I need this. Because reality is, if you don't think you need this, if you don't need it, I mean, life is busy. We've got a lot of important stuff to do. And if you don't need it... It's optional, really. If I get extra time, I might do it. But if you feel, if you think, if you understand, I need this. God, I'm going to go through this day. I have no clue what's going on. But you do. And you know the blind spots in my life. I need you to open my eyes so that I can see wonderful things from your law. I need you to, to, to teach me. 
I, I need this, Lord. It's the only way you can receive God's word is to receive it with, with humility. But also, I like that picture that James uses to receive the word. You know, you, you share God's word and folk are, and, and maybe not physically, but, but internally anyway. And so you present the word and they're kind of like, hold it out to him. And it's like, mm-hmm. looking over it and checking it out. And, and <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> but then, sometimes when God's word is handed out, person grabs it, says, mine. This is this mine. And that's what he's saying, receive it. It's not going to just automatically happen. You've got to receive it. You've got to, 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 to take that. You have to claim it as your own. Um, verse 22. says so you've got a new relationship to the word. You need to have a new response to the word. But then you need a new view of the word. In verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, he doesn't say don't be hearers, right? He says don't be hearers only. You got it. He's not against studying God's word. He's gonna, he just told us how we're supposed to get into it. Yes, he wants us to study. But he says that's not enough. This is fascinating. That's not enough. You've got to be doers. Don't be deceiver. Don't be hearers only. The word hearer means to audit. You ever audit a class? Kind of, kind of cool to audit a class. Those guys are kind of loosey goosey and kind of hanging because they can take notes and they can just be there to learn and, but they have no responsibilities. There's no accountability for the content for them. They, they don't have any tests or quizzes or assignments or exams. They just, I think a lot of us audit the Bible. Fill up the book. I'm just here to learn. <laughs> But I got no accountability for what I, I do with this, right? And he says, when you have that mindset, you're not a doer, you're just a hearer, you deceive yourself. Whenever the scripture says a warning about deception, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go into it with the assumption that you have been deceived. Not that, oh, someone else is not, it's just not me. No, no, no. You gotta, and the deception is, is clear, and it's this. Somehow, just hearing it, just studying it equals spiritual maturity. And James says, oh, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not, it's not at all. Jesus says this in, in Luke eleven twenty eight. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's, uh, listen to this quote from Tozer. By the way, once in a while, folk will ask me, what's the Krishna Missionary Alliance? I've never heard of it. I'll ask them, you ever heard of Tozer? Or you ever heard of Ravi Zacharias, their alliance? Okay, that, then I'll move on. He's talking about a uh, destructive force in the church, and he says this, Tozer. He says, this destructive force, it is the glaring disparity between theory and practice among professing Christians. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice within the church that an inquiring stranger who chanced upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between the two of them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning message and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. He says, it appears to me that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. And then he says this, truth sits forsaken and grieves till her professed followers come home for a brief visit. 
but she sees them depart again when the bills come due. The deception is just listening equals a changed life. A listen, listen does not. My GPS tells me where to go, but my GPS will not get me there. The Bible is powerful, but it is not a magic carpet. It tells us where to go, but unless we do something with what it says, we never get there. Unless we are willing to take that which we've seen, that which we've learned, and become doers of the word, we never end up in that place. Scripture is really, really good of working our emotions a high without transforming our life. Scripture can educate without eradicating sin. Scripture can do lots of stuff without bringing about. It's not a magic pill we take. James says, you have to receive it. You've got to do. Because if you don't, the deception is this. Because I've studied, because I know, I can equate that with spiritual maturity. I can think I'm much farther along than I really am. I can think I walk closer to God than I really do. James says, no, no, you don't. Verse verse 23 says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, gives you an illustration about his whole point here. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he's doing. Look at verse uh, 23 and 24. Same, you see that looks intently in verse 23, and then 24 looks at himself and goes away. Those the same word, looks intently. What that word means is that's to look carefully. And what that tells us is this. You can look carefully and still go away and not do anything, right? You can look carefully into the Word of God. You can look intently into the Word of God. You can study it deeply. You can have three-hour quiet times. But whether you got a three-second quiet time or a three-hour quiet time, if you don't do something with what it says, there's still no change, right? You're just as bad off as you were before. There's no change. But then look in the next verse where he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law. Now the word for look there, it's a different word. whole different word. That's the word for stare. That's the word that's used for Peter when he goes to the tomb. Empty tomb. Can you imagine Peter? Probably, I'm just, you're just guessing here, but probably he wasn't just walking by the empty tomb. You know, it's not like there's the guards. How you doing, guards? And there's Judas hanging. Hey, Judas. And he was, and oh, there's an empty tomb. See, it's the empty tomb. And And it's probably not the deal. You get the picture. He was, in the word, he was staring. His mouth was was open. He was thinking, oh my goodness, what's this? He was there 100% or 110%. What's this mean? What's this about? What's this mean for me? What's this mean for, for his church? What's this mean for Jesus? What's going on? How do I, what is this? What's this all about? And James says, when you come to the word of God, that's the perspective, not to glance, but to stare. Do so continuously. And you've got some some shifts going. He talks about the Bible as a mirror, right? There's a lot of pictures in Scripture of Scripture itself. James is pointing out the mirror thing. Uh, you do not study a mirror, tell me if I'm wrong, for the mirror's sake. You study what you see in the mirror. That's the goal. God's Word is not a textbook that's just trying to educate us. It, it's It's a mirror 
that shows us not our externals, but our heart. And as we stare into it, we see who we are in relation to what God wants us to be. And we know where we need to go. We know what we need to do. It's, it's, it's a mirror. Hebrews 4 is a great, great text. It says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God, these things that we get confused about, can cut to the quick and can show us. That's the purpose of this thing. can help us understand where we need to be, what we need to be uh, about with that. Here's a great, great text. Uh, This Thousands of years ago, I think that he's nailing... The, 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 the 21st century American church, Ezekiel 33, says, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the Lord, what the word of the, the word that comes from the Lord. In other words, Ezekiel, people are saying, you got to come hear my pastor Ezekiel. He's just nailing. He's pretty doggone good. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain, and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. It's all just being entertained by the word of God. You know, this we live in an incredible opportunity. I, I love our technology as far as giving us incredible opportunity that generations before did not have. But there's a danger with it. We can, we have access to the absolute best communicators of the word of God on this planet. And in this era, though, of celebrity preachers, we listen to Andy and we listen to John Ortberg and we listen to Tim Keller and John Piper and John MacArthur. If you're like me, I do, these guys, and I get back and I'm, I'm odd. I wish I could preach like that. And what insight they have, and how did they see that? But it makes all kinds of sense. And, and, and we're odd at their ability to tell the story and move our emotions. And, and, and yeah, you're okay and all, Harris. But you know what? When I look at the mirror, that when Andy holds it up, oh, it's so clear and powerful. And when I, I look at the mirror, when Tim Keller holds it up, it's like, oh, man, it's so powerful. We have to make sure that we understand that emotion that's brought about by the hearing of God's word does not equal a changed life. We can have all the emotional experience in the world, but if in fact we don't do something with it, which is what James is saying, we lose. We're here only. I hear only. Yeah, there's, you know, there are some false barometers for uh, the word of God. Um, as far as my, my maturity. There are things I can think of. I, I think I'm getting a handle on it. I, I open the Bible. One of them is, is understanding. And I'm having my quiet time and I come across a verse and I don't understand this. I'm, and all of a sudden it dawns. Oh, I got it. Yes, yes, that's what this means. Wow, that's so cool. I got it. My good devotion, quiet time this morning. Yeah, it was great. False barometer. Or perhaps I'm going to be in quiet time and I'm going, oh, you know who really needs this. 
Jane really, really, she needs this so badly. Oh, oh, Jane. You know, maybe I'll write a card to her and I won't put my name on it, but I'll include this verse because I think that would be right. That's what she's supposed to. That's the application. Application for others is a false barometer. Or or maybe, maybe a false barometer is just purely emotion. I read this and I'm going, oh, wow. Wow, God, this is, oh, wow. I just, oh, man. What a great quiet time this morning. That was just fantastic. Or maybe, quiet time, reading. And again, a little bit closer now. Uh, Husbands, love your wives. Like, yeah, boy, oh, man, convicted. Yeah, I need to do that. One day I'll get to that one. Yeah, yeah. Good quiet time. Convicted, I feel like that. Yeah, let's move on. If you don't do something with what you've heard, James says, hearer only. He's going to give us a conclusion, and I wish we had more time to unpack this one, but verses 26 and 27. And this, this is really the example of what he's talking about. Let me just read this. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This idea of religion, that's worship manifested. He says, anybody who thinks that they are are worshiping God, they're walking with God, they are living it out, uh, they just need to know that, that, that true worship is not hot air. It's not my doctrinal statement. It's not my singing praise worship stuff. It's not what I say. No, 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 no. That's for a lot of people. That's their worship. James says, no, no. Worship is what you do. Look what you do. Do you care for other people? And are you, you living your life in such a way that you're not living for hell? That's, 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 that's true worship. And if, in fact, you are caring for others, you're living your life, not then you, James knows, then you have submitted your life to the word of God. Now, here's the deal. Let's wrap this whole thing up. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you one question. Every time you get done with listening to somebody preach, and I, I got to warn you, this question, if you ask this, you might limit you for how many people you listen to preaching. Um, but every time you listen to someone preach, every time you go to a Bible study, whether the preacher up front gives you the application or not, totally irrelevant, you, you, you're big boys and girls, right? We take responsibility for our spiritual life. We don't blame the lack of it on anybody else. Here's a question you have to ask yourself after every quiet time, after every Bible reading, and this is the question. Two words. We can remember this. So What? So what? How is my life going to look like this? This principle that I just went over this morning. And how does it look in my life if I live it out? I used to the stuff going on in my life. If I live this principle out today, not tomorrow, today, how's it going to look? And if you grapple with that question, and more importantly, you answer that question, and then you, you do that, According to James, you are a doer of the word. So don't be merely hearers. So easy for us to be merely hearers. Don't be merely hearers. There's no spiritual maturity in merely hearing. There's no power to, to, uh, to survive how God wants us to by merely hearing. You've got to be a doer. Pray with me.
because I'm grateful, uh, God, first of all, for your patience and for your forgiveness. And we have turned your word into a form of entertainment. We've turned your, your word into that which tickles ears. I like the guys with Ezekiel. We want to go. We want to hear. We want to be entertained. We want to be moved emotionally. We just don't want to be changed. <laughs> 